Hi, everybody. This is Leah. Halfway through recording the episode, we realized we probably should have a trigger warning because there is definitely sexual assault and threats of sexual assault. Um, false imprisonment, not false imprisonment, but uh, definitely folks being imprisoned when they shouldn't be. And obviously violence. I feel like folks expect the violence of the other parts. I just wanted to name here because some of those things definitely show up in the 28 Days Later movie. So if you're not down for listening to those, feel free to skip this one. Welcome to the Zombie Book Club, the only book club where the book is a movie, but you didn't know the movie had zombies until they were right on your heels, howling like wild animals. That was my experience when I first watched it in 2003. Anyways, I'm Dan, and when I'm not driving a London taxi cab over a pile of wrecked cars in an underground tunnel, I'm writing a book about a zombie outbreak in New York City that's heavily inspired by 28 Days Later. And I'm Leah, and I thought today was Friday, but it's actually Tuesday when we're recording this, and I am really trying to be at peace with that. Yeah. Leah, today was like, I'm so happy that it's Friday. It's not. not. (laughs) (laughs) I think I got it in my head because we were recording tonight that that meant there was freedom on the other side. But that's okay, because today, on a Tuesday, we are talking about 28 Days Later, the first Decent Apocalypse movie either of us saw that came out in the United States in 2003. Today, we are spending the first 15 minutes of this recording trying to get our dog to stop barking, which we finally did. So now we can talk about 28 Days Later. Are you excited, Dan? I'm so excited. (laughs) It was like it was a like a a drag down knockout fight between us and Nero. It was basically what you don't know because it's getting cut out is that between me introducing myself and then anything else I was about to say, there was like four or five attempts at at quelling Nero's uh, indignation at being required to be quiet for one whole hour. You know, to be fair, he probably has a lot to say about 28 days later. (laughs) (laughs) He probably does because it's the first decent apocalypse movie I think either of us saw that came out in the United States. Oh, yeah, definitely. What, What did we have before that, like? Deep Impact. I don't even remember that one. <laughs> Men in Black? It was Men in Black, a zombie movie. Is it an apocalypse movie? <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. It's an almost apocalypse movie. What about Armageddon? When did that come out? Oh, uh, same time as Deep Impact. Okay, so I guess those there are a couple, but this is the first legit zombie apocalypse. And I think it's still even almost, I guess, 21 years later, arguably one of the most popular zombie movies of all time. Yeah. I mean, we had the Romero movies before that, but they like it's it's a very different thing. Yes. And yet, even despite its popularity, it is literally basically impossible to stream right now on any platform and i don't know about y'all but i haven't used my dvd player in a very long time (laughs) and finding and watching 28 days later was basically a test of us still knowing how to use a dvd player and dan having to steal batteries from another remote to the dvd remote so that (laughs) we could do so the remote yeah (laughs) you can't just press the button so basically i did a little bit of digging to to give you all the tea on this Sony bought the rights as a package for making the upcoming sequel 28 years later. For some reason, you can still get 28 weeks later via streaming, but not 28 days later. It is sealed. Maybe, maybe, maybe it will come out as like a package updated, upgraded thing um, when they come out with 28 years later. Because I learned that the um, I think you told me, Dan, that the the 
This was like the first digital film. Oh, yeah. Well, I think we read that because I actually didn't know. <laughs> yeah, but I think you're the one who told me about it. But apparently it's the first digital film ever. And so it's just shot on shitty, the shittiest first version of a digital camera you could have. Yeah, which explains why in uh, standard definition, it looks like it was shot on like a potato. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit rough to watch, but still worth it. And I would just like to say all hail the library, all hail Liz the librarian for hooking us up with an interdepartmental library loan to get this DVD that was not scratched. And she even told the library system to never get rid of the two DVDs in the entirety of Vermont for this. (laughs) There's only two? There's only two because of how rare it is now. Yeah. So I want to know, Dan, before we went to the library uh, to get 28 Days Later, when was the last time you went to the library to actually get something out? Oh, I don't know, like 2015? Yeah, it's been... (laughs) It's been a while. And that was and that's only because I went with my mom to the Fort Drum library system and we got like some we rented some movies. Again, we rented movies. We didn't take out any books from the library. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there seems to be a trend there. There were some books I might want to go back and read. But I think At what I'm realizing library, yeah. is that I think a survival tip in the apocalypse is actually going to your library before the apocalypse. Mm, so yeah. you can get to know your neighbors. Yeah. Get used to sharing things with them. Also, that's like libraries after the apocalypse are going to be how you get information. Yeah. Like they're still going to have the books that they have there. And you're going to want to go there and find like the back to basics books, the joy of cooking books. We have the back to basics books. Yeah. Um, There's going to be like a lot of information there that's going to help you survive. So like the library is a really good stop on your survival list. And also if you need to watch something that's because you can't stream anything anymore. Yeah. Go to the library. I mean, I can't guarantee that one of the two DVDs of 28 Days Later will be there. <laughs> the most helpful of all the DVDs. <laughs> <laughs> so we release episodes every Sunday. So uh, hit that subscribe button. Dan, can you give us a, a summary, a summary of 28 Days Later for those people who have maybe not watched it or not watched it in a really long time and just need like yeah, a, a little, refresh. A little refresher. Yeah. yeah. 28 Days Later, it's a uh, British post-apocalyptic horror film directed by Danny Boyle and released in 2002 um, in the UK and 2003 in the US. Uh, The film explores the catastrophic breakdown of society following the accidental release of a highly contagious virus known as the Rage Virus. Mm. Great name for a virus. Definitely. (laughs) When's the last time we had a virus that sounded like an emotion? (laughs) (laughs) which turns infected humans into aggressive mindless zombies Uh, the story begins with a group of animal activists breaking into a research facility and unwittingly releasing a chimpanzee infected with a rage virus which quickly spreads across uh, britain 28 days later surprisingly yeah 28 whole days later jim wakes up he wakes up he was a bicycle carrier and he awakens from a coma in a uh, deserted hospital in london and, and he Uh, Finds the city empty and in ruins uh, with signs of chaos and violence everywhere. You just said London. London. (laughs) That's how they pronounce it there. London. London, the United (laughs) Kingdom. I am so curious if people will be able to hear our dog barking, even though he is an entire (laughs) story away from us right now. As he explores the desolate landscape, he encounters a few other survivors, including Selena and Mark, uh, who inform him about the virus and its effects. That's convenient. 
Um, the group decides to stick together for safety, navigating through the dangerous streets filled with infected people. They pick up another survivor, Frank, and his daughter, Hannah. Uh, but together, they hear a broadcast promising a cure at a military blockade in Manchester. Uh, the film follows their perilous journey to the blockade, which leads to a series of harrowing encounters with both the infected and the uninfected, challenging their hopes for safety and humanity's survival. 28 Days Later is acclaimed for its gritty realism, atmospheric tension, and innovative portrayal of zombie genre, setting a new standard for horror films dealing with pandemics and societal collapses. A new standard from 21 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) What? Well, it says... You wrote, we're setting a new standard for horror films dealing with pandemics and societal collapse, but it's 21 years old. Oh, yeah. I yeah, mean, it set, it's it set a new then. standard. <laughs> yes. But now we have a lot of other really innovative stuff. Yeah. Uh, but I still I still think it holds up. So my first question is, why is our dog stopped barking? I don't know. And is our dog a zombie? Our dog is a zombie. So I have a question, Dan. Yeah. Are the humans infected with the rage virus zombies well it's they count funny that you ask that leah because people have been arguing about it for 20 years wow um including my friend james who owns a pizza place hi james i know you disagree with me but you're wrong (laughs) (laughs) so this is a 20 year old debate that began when the writer and director said in 2003 that they were very worried about people thinking it was a zombie movie. And um, why did they make a zombie movie? You know, I think this is like, this is just one of those Britishisms where they tried to sound polite about what they were trying to communicate. And it, Americans took it to mean, oh, it's not a zombie movie. They're not zombies. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that also stemmed from the cultural depiction of zombie films at the time, which were all slow, shambling corpses, hungry for brains. True. All of them. There was This was the first highly motivated fast zombie. The Walking Dead wasn't even a blink in anybody's eye. Yeah, except for Robert Kirkman, who like around that time was beginning to draft the very early ideas of The mm. Walking Dead. Um, so in his in his in eye, his eye. But we had no idea what was coming. For <laughs> he us. wouldn't share that with us yet. <laughs> uh, so recently, as 2022, um, there's still a lot of debate about whether or not the movie is a zombie movie. But Alex Garland, the writer of the movie, said it is a zombie movie. So he waited 20 years. He to did. Admit it. Yeah. 20 year anniversary. He'll admit that the movie was about zombies. Wild. <laughs> uh, whatever the technical discrepancies may or may not exist, they're pretty much zombies. So That's what he said. Definitive. Yes. Huh. <laughs> so I think uh, I, I read in another place where he said it's a zombie movie, even if there aren't really technically any zombies in it. I feel like there are so many varied definitions of zombie. Yeah. And I'm just going to go with the one where an organism is taken over another organism or you've been, you know, you have zombicosis. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's important to remember that the origins of the zombie is from Haiti and their magical zombies. Magic chicken zombies? That they create in real life are not undead brain eating creatures. That is true. They are people who are under the influence of psychedelic drugs. Good times. um, Deprived of oxygen by being buried underground. Not good times. 
And uh, and in their weakened mental states after those types of traumas occur are then enslaved by the the priest or priestess mm. who did the zombification ritual. So these zombies are as much zombies as any Haitian voodoo zombie. That is true. Okay, so what kind of zombie are they then? If you and I believe they're zombies, and if you don't think they're zombies, get out of here. <laughs> so I would say that these are pathogenic zombies. It's a it's a virus, the rage virus, if mm-hmm. you will. Um, I wonder if that's an acronym for something. Uh, rage we'll virus. Anyways, uh, there is a. Oh, I get it now. Like R A G E. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, a little slow. Uh, so they they are infected with a virus, which. Um, makes them basically just go insane and want to spread the virus more. The virus is controlling their will. Mm. So in that sense, they are zombies because they're be- being controlled by another organism, that being the, the virus. Uh, they are fast. Terrifyingly fast. First yeah. fast zombies I ever saw. Yeah. And um, they, I would say that they hibernate during the day, but they are also, they're attracted by a variety of stimuli. So sound, light movement because they're still alive they the have word all hello the infection is really fast this is very much like uh world war z like where like they're infected in 10 to 20 seconds yeah it's pretty terrifying um because you don't have a choice you don't have there's, there's no like waiting and mourning period before you got to kill somebody if they're infected yeah um it's also very important to note that these are not dead zombies they're fully alive infected humans that are zombified so they can starve to death and they're vulnerable to normal methods of attack. So, like, you could shoot them in the chest and they'll die. If they bleed out, they'll die. They'll I die of regular disease or, or uh, nerve gases, um, fire. You know, anything that would kill a normal human being will kill these zombies. I appreciate you that pointing that out because I knew that they were alive and they could starve to death. But in my, there's like such a strong instinct that if they're undead, kill the head. Yeah. <laughs> uh, from dead don't die that it's just i didn't even notice that that's a really good point. yeah well um you know spoiler alert but when frank dies <laughs> um the, the soldiers just riddle him with bullet holes he's not shot in the head that's true he's just peppered with bullets and he dies it's kind of convenient yeah they're not like an uh some zombies that we encounter in the media are like eternal zombies like they just seem to never go away yeah never stop unless you hit him in the head yeah, like the Walking Dead zombies who just like get smarter the longer they've been dead. Yeah. There's one thing that I'm curious, and maybe this is why some people think that they're not zombies. <clears throat> James. I haven't met you, James, but we should meet. I want to eat your pizza. Yeah, he has great pizza. Um, that there's some level of sentience still in these folks. Like, yeah, yeah. There's a chained up army zombie we'll talk more about later. And he very clearly makes a choice when he is um, released free by Jimmy to yeah. not kill jimmy yeah i mean jimmy was kind of out of his range of reach because he was up on a wall Mm. but you know if this was a normal zombie that would have been the only stimuli and he would have just like kept on jumping at the wall until jimmy went away yeah he wouldn't have had the like problem solving yeah to make a decision instead he it was kind of like the zombie almost like winked like (laughs) i get it buddy i'll go kill everyone else I know what we're up to here. This is a coup. Yeah. Well, that that chained up zombie had a vendetta, which we'll talk more about. But I think there's like some sense of um, very minimal reasoning power, but some reasoning power still within these zombies, which I think is not uh, too common. Yeah, it seems to be. Also, they can open doors. Yeah. The the priest zombie opens a door. 
Um, so let's talk about some existential themes and Ooh, questions. Yeah. So the, one of the ones that I really wanted to touch base with you on, because we haven't talked about it much, but you mentioned it, is that when you first watched this in 2003, you thought the animal rights activists that freed the chimpanzees were idiots. Yeah. I was like, look at these dumb idiots, stupid animal rights guys coming in. And then they're like, they're like, don't let them out because they're infected. They'll kill everyone. They're like, I don't care. Get rid of it. Let them out. Which, to be fair, um, releasing infectious yeah. animals into the population is not a good idea, even if they it does appear that they're being tortured. Um, you're not doing anybody any favors by releasing highly infectious, possibly violent animals mm. back into the wild. Like if they if they were just infected with rabies, like that would have been a really bad idea. Just be like, let's let all these rabies dogs out into the street. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they're clearly um, testing this disease on them because the the scientist person says like, well, you you know, in order to understand this disease, we have to test it on them because one of the animal rights activists is upset to to understand it. You must study it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, like back then, you know, I was like, I, I, I hate these guys for doing it. Uh, but now I kind of understand. But at the same time, I'm like, I still think they're idiots. But <laughs> I think they should have just taken the pictures of the chimpanzee that was like chained up and being forced to watch violent things. Yeah. It was really weird. Like, were they like trying to make people? I don't understand the virus. Yeah. Um, I guess trying because it's people- a rage virus, it like triggers all of your hate emotions. So maybe they were trying to study how the chimpanzee reacted to violent images. Mm, Yeah. Well, either way, it wasn't very nice to the chimps. I will say that. And actually, I have to just say that some of the chimps were not real in the movie, but some of them were. And it was kind of fucked up. I don't really like people using animals in that way for a movie. Yeah. um, They were in some really weird, weird cages. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty sure in the credits it says that they are um, they're from a zoo in Denmark. Oh, great. Yeah. Love that Um, for them. Which they they I guess they put chimpanzees in movies is their their whole business model right there. So I'm sure everything's above board and yeah, totally, just our closest relative in yeah. a cage. It's cool. It's cool. We love that for us. <laughs> I think they they're probably so happy being on TV. Oh, know? they're probably dead now. So well, you never know because they live just as long as us almost. Um, well, some how of long them, does a chimpanzee do. live? I'm gonna just Google this. Well, yeah, unless they're being tested. <laughs> how long does a chimp live? I lied. They have half our lifespan. <laughs> 32 That's and 39 years. Still pretty good. But yeah, a long time. Watching it now, I'm like, I don't know if necessarily shackling a chimpanzee to a bed and making him watch a whole bunch of like TVs of violent things happening is the nicest thing to do to a chimpanzee. So, um, you know, I'm kind of on their side a little bit, but even still, they should have listened when the doctor said these apes are infected and they can't be let out because they will spread this rage virus. Yeah, I mean, it was a really uh, interesting way to have a virus be spread. I don't think we've ever seen anything like that in movies, even though that's typically how viruses spread in real life, yeah. uh, is uh, animal transmission of some way. Yeah, name several <laughs> examples. Particularly from animals that are put in crowded and really fucked up environments who then develop all these really weird viruses <laughs> that are um, antibiotic resistant because we feed them antibiotics. Anyways, uh, yeah, I think... I agree with you. It was interesting because I feel like it was more of a device than a, an express theme of the movie to talk about animal rights mm. or animal testing. Yeah. But you know what? I feel like karmically in this universe, humans got what was coming to them because 
at this point, and I, I don't know about 2003, so okay, I will acknowledge that. But I know at this point, we have no reason to be testing on animals anymore. There's plenty of other options that are just but, as yeah, accurate. How are we supposed to know if lipstick looks good <laughs> if we don't put it on a rabbit? Um. Well, I mean, we could always go back to the old ways and just use like blueberries and raspberries to stain our lips. Yeah, and we shouldn't test blueberries on rabbits. <laughs> Well, you could feed them to them. They probably would like it. That's cruel. <laughs> I don't know where you're going with this, but I think it's interesting that you have that you have evolved in your your impression around animals since the first time you watched it. Because I agree with you. Probably the most humane thing to do to those chimpanzees was to put them down. Yeah. Because if they're already infected with this really messed up virus, they're suffering immensely, anyways. But the other issue I have with the film um, was just that the chimpanzees were like some of them were fake, some of them were what's the word for it? CG. No. Computer graphics. They were not. No, the one that was tied down had to be fake. They did not have they really CG tied graphics down like a that in 2002. For this movie. That's messed up. I'm not okay with animals being used in uh, yeah. film. In I mean, it ways. could have been like an animatronic puppet, but I highly doubt that they used uh, CG. They wouldn't have been able to um, mm. to calculate all the hair. Okay, well, regardless, I hope that they weren't all real because the, they were put into really messed up situations. So let's just believe that they are all animatronic chimpanzees. Yeah, let's, let's just go with choose that. to believe that, yeah. Uh, let's move on to another existential theme. Um, our need to come together and survive. You know this is one of my favorites, because I hate how there's this trope in the zombie apocalypse. It's like the solo survival <laughs> survivor, and like every society crumbles because there's always like selfish people who are terrible and And, uh, and the greedy. weak people who slow us down. Yeah, those 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 weak people that just, you know, you know, the ones they can't climb stairs. <laughs> oh, me. Uh, <laughs> I really feel like that trope is definitely an example of human zombicosis. Or maybe we could start calling the wolf effect, the alpha wolf, where we've mm. been in captivity for too long and uh, in capitalism and uh, colonialist extractive economy world that we live in. That's led us to believe that we're all individual actors um, mm. with no consequence in what we do to each other. Yeah, but that's liked- probably like the biggest. Um, the biggest lie that we tell ourselves is that we, we survive on our own, you know, that that we are responsible for our own existence in this world. Meanwhile, you're surrounded by an entire house of things that does shit for you that other people have to provide the electricity for, or the propane for, or you have to go buy from the store. Like your uh, your refrigerator and your food that comes from everywhere except where you live. <laughs> yeah, we are intimately connected to every aspect of life, even parts of life that we don't really think about, like all of our, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? All of our bacteria buddies. We yeah. have so many bacteria and I think more bacteria than there are human cells. Yeah. The bacteria on me is the reason I weigh so much. Really? Yeah. This is going down a strange <laughs> rabbit hole. Yeah, they say that like two thirds of your body weight is bacteria. Wild. Yeah. Well, I guess they need you to survive, which is the point of this existential question, which there's a, a big theme in this movie of is it is it best to sort of go on your own and be ruthless and leave people behind to survive? Or do you think from a communal aspect and um acknowledge that you actually need each other to be successful? And I think they let le- I think that they lean in the direction of we need each other to survive, which I really yeah. appreciated because I don't see that in a lot of zombie well, Selena's, literature. Selena's definitely the far of one side of that, where she'll leave anyone behind. At She'll first. machete her best friend to death. She'll leave him 
when she's running up the stairs. Um, and then uh, Frank and his daughter are like the far other side of that, where it's like, no, we need each other. We need to come together and we'll do what it, whatever it takes to protect each other. Yeah, Hannah's speech on the balcony was they were making the decision to actually go and try and find safety from that radio transmission they were hearing was really compelling. I forget what she said, but I loved when she said, you know, of course we need you, but you need us. And that seemed to transform Selena a little bit, I think. And uh, I would almost say that her hyper individuality was a trauma response to um, zombicosis (laughs) of the real world before the apocalypse started, plus then the apocalypse. I think it had a lot to do with like how she managed to survive the the following 28 days after the apocalypse because she she very much like is like if you don't do this this way you will die yeah she had a formula yeah like she she had a, her her and her friends had it figured out and one by one her friends were disappearing which i think really brings us to the next uh major theme for me of the movie which is mental health um where did you yeah. see mental health show up in this movie um oh boy uh i mean jim right away had a lot of depression you know on account of his entire world um going away in the blink of an eye yeah according to him he was in a coma and then he wakes up and uh yeah his parents are dead there's nobody around except for (laughs) everybody wants to kill him (laughs) yeah and he really appears to like there's definitely a point where i think he's questioning whether it's worth living and it's demonstrated in his willingness to go into a building for absolutely no reason no yeah. reason they did not need to go that they had plenty of food because they just raided the grocery store and yet he was like you know what i'm gonna go in here i feel like he had a death wish in that moment yeah and or something to prove like i think he also uh struggled a lot with the fact that selena was a hardened survivor and he and he was just tagging along yeah so i think he felt like he had something to prove by going in and like trying to find trouble Either way, somebody who was fully mentally sound in that moment would not have made the choice to go into a building for no reason, knowing that there are zombies literally everywhere. You can't even light a candle at nighttime to like watch some old movies of your family like he did before zombies come. So that was those movies weren't like real movies. Those were like his memories, but they did it filmic style so that it looked like he was watching like a like an eight millimeter film. I totally did not catch that. I yeah. thought he was actually watching films. Well, you know what? There's a lot of creative decisions in this there movie. Are. That are weird. We'll get into that later. <laughs> but um, yeah, he was he was remembering it. And like instead of like having the same as if it was a home movie. Yeah. It's, instead of the same filmic quality that you that you saw in the movie, they shot it like on eight millimeter film. Yeah. <sighs> uh, also, like another place that we see mental health issues is with the soldiers. Yeah, are the army guys okay? Yeah. I don't think that they're okay. Um, one one of them, um, I forget, the, I forget his name. Uh, the uh, the officer in charge said that that guy had a gun in his mouth a few days ago, and uh, that's because they lost hope. There's there's no women left in the world, which means there's no children anymore, which is means that they're the end of civilization. And what's the point in fighting the zombies when there's nothing to be fighting them for? I weirdly feel like you and I would be celebrating this moment. <laughs> like, let Everybody's dead! And other Yay. creatures take it back. I'm kidding, <laughs> folks. But like, I do think our, we need to Yeah, reset. the people listening, I would be very upset if they were gone. Yeah, and your kids are cool. Everybody else, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, you know, they, they, they showed their their lack of mental health in a variety of ways from toxic masculinity to reverting back to like very childish mannerisms. 
to suicidal tendencies. And then the, uh, the sergeant who was just having a complete existential meltdown half the time and just like screaming into the darkness about how everything's crazy and, uh, and that the, 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 uh, the officer's crazy for not thinking it's as crazy as he thinks it is. Hmm. Yeah, he was definitely unhinged. I think yeah. like... But he was also kind of the most sane of them all. That's really sad. When you were talking, it made me think like maybe toxic masculinity should be in the DSM along with zombicosis because the combination of toxic masculinity combined with an apocalyptic scenario oh. where you don't know your purpose for living equals uh, really fucked up thinking around your right to basically enslave women to have sex with and reproduce with. And that was the that was the thing that joined them all together. That was what made them feel community again, which I think is a good point that like just community uh if it's the wrong community this kind of like lending towards culty sort of community maybe yeah. not so good better to go on your own yeah and in, in, in their own weird fucked up way they were seeking out community it's just that they <laughs> they seeked out community in the form of sex slaves uh speaking of sexual assault i think we should talk about the uh interesting use of um mental health medications i don't know what they're called oh, yeah. psycho beta blockers beta blockers yeah because they valium. multiple times take valium one to just sleep yeah and that was really interesting i don't think i've ever seen i'm trying to think if there's another time where i've seen an intentional use of drugs like that to help you get through the apocalypse but honestly that's a great survival tip if you can get yeah. your hands on some valium in the apocalypse i think it's worth having as a backup tool what was disturbing was the fact that Hannah and Selena had to use it in order to feel less caring about the fact that they were about to be sexually assaulted. Yeah. Um, Selena is, has a background in being a qualified chemist, which uh, way back in the day, I didn't know what that meant because in the US, a chemist means that you're like a scientist that does things with chemicals. Yeah. Um, but in the UK, it means that you're a pharmacist. I didn't realize that detail about her, Dan, actually. Yeah, she she says it at some point. I think it's when they take out the Valium to go to sleep. And uh, and Jim's like, whoa, because she, she pulls out a whole bunch of drugs and she says, I'm a qualified chemist. Yeah, I got to say, like, there's plenty of people who need those drugs today. And for good reason, regardless of what society they lived in, because um, there are things that happen in your brain chemistry that can make it hard for you to feel OK in this world. And I think that our over-reliance in this society on a lot of those drugs is because our society is set up to not meet any of our homo sapien needs. I'm just going to keep bringing zombicosis up here because yeah. I think that it's an example and also a metaphor for like how hard life is that you got to take a Valium to get to sleep. Because frankly, I take sleeping aids sometimes because sometimes because of this society and how stressed out I feel about it. And uh, there's no zombies as far as I know yeah. out there. Um, while we're on the topic of sexual assault in this movie, mm. um, when I first watched this in 2003, I was watching it with the woman that I was dating while I was in the army. Mm. Um, she got it. very, very upset at this scene and stormed out of the room. That's fair. And um, I, don't, I don't know if I was the most supportive of things like this back then. I definitely didn't know these things so I, I i guess i probably thought that was weird but that's when i learned that she had been molested by her stepfather mm. who was currently in prison and she was afraid that when he got out of prison she would be murdered by him wow that's really horrible so yeah like um i've i've talked to people about stuff like this before when it comes to the zombie apocalypse especially like on threads we've had full discussions about how sexual assault is depicted in apocalyptic media and how like 
how it does affect people. Cause I don't think I understood back then, but like now I've had a lot of time to think about that moment and moments since then and heard people's stories about how they view these things. And I, I, while I agree with the fact that you want to depict a realistic um, scenario in your gritty apocalyptic world, um, there isn't really any need to like re-traumatize people by like getting as far into it as this movie got. Like it, it wasn't the theme of the movie. It was so, a large chunk, though. Yeah, like it. Or at least it, it felt that way to me. It could have been there, but like straight up, there is there. Like if you didn't know, you'd think that you were about to watch something that was full on just going to be a sexual assault in a movie. Yeah, because it doesn't actually get to that point, but you think it's going to, which is intentional. Obviously, they want you to feel it. But I think um, the reality is that you might not know this if you're a man, is that like one in three women have been sexually assaulted. So, yeah, uh, yeah it's real for people. It's not a thing that is um, for entertainment value. And I really appreciated what Sylvester Barzi has to say about it, which you'll hear in the next episode. Yeah, next episode. <laughs> I'm not going to spoil it, but I'll just say, I really appreciate Sylvester's take on whether or not we really need to include sexual assault of women specifically uh, in apocalypse writing and literature. Yeah. And like when it comes to when it comes to my writing and my book, you know, to focus on me for a little bit, um, like that is a threat in my world, but it's not something that I want to be happening like as a narrative. Yeah, I will say there was a Stephen King book. I'm trying to remember which one it was that I read that had sexual assault of a man in it. And it was like, I think the first and possibly only time in a book that I've read that I did watch the TV show Oz, the prison show. Mm -hmm. That was, yeah, there was a lot, a lot of sexual assault in that show. I had to stop watching it. But um, it was uh, it's it shows you how you can become callous to these things, because I was really deeply disturbed by that depiction because it was not something that we expected or I expected to really see or read about. So let's let's uh, let's talk about another mental health um, theme of this movie, uh, PTSD. You know, this was written kind of like before PTSD was really taken seriously. This is yeah. like the time that I was getting PTSD. <laughs> Literally 2003. Yeah, I don't even think I knew the term PTSD in 2003. Like I'm thinking back. I really don't think it was a term that was talked about ever yeah. where I grew up. Um, but yeah, Jimmy, he's uh, he's having nightmares. And uh, I actually really like how nightmares are depicted in this movie, because like so often there's like a nightmare sequence. And it's like, you know, when you look at it, you're like, oh, OK, that was just like a, a way to tell a story within a story. But actually, what we see is that it's 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 highlighting his worst fear. And this is like such a great way to narrate what how he feels in the situation, because he has a nightmare that he wakes up and he's all alone. His friends left. Which is what happened. He woke up alone. That's literally what yeah. happened to him 28 days later and couldn't that's find true. anybody. Yeah. So that's why I think it's PTSD. Yeah. But it's also the anxiety that he faces is that like the world disappeared around him and all he's got left are these three people and they could die at any minute. He could yeah. be all alone again. Yeah, speaking of we need each other to survive, like that's yeah. his worst fear is to be left alone, not to be eaten by zombies, but to be left alone, which I think feeds into um, this other theme that I appreciated being a big part of it, which is like the loss of loved ones and the reality that in the apocalypse or not, everyone we love will die. 
some or many before us. And I appreciate when movies tackle this um, thing because I think we live in a death phobic culture. Weirdly, like it's like we love apocalypse genre stuff, but at the same time, when it comes to our own lives, we don't like talking or thinking about death, our own or other people's. Um, I've had a lot of folks in my family die. Uh, I mean, everybody will, but I have a little bit earlier in life, I think, than like most of my friends and peers. And I can tell you the amount of crickets that I received when somebody passed away. I know it was because people didn't, not that people didn't care, but it's the like fear of even talking about it. So whenever it's a part of a film, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, um, I have a theory about this, which is like, I th- I actually think that people who enjoy this type of of media, like people who are like obsessed with the zombie apocalypse specifically, but also just like apocalyptic stuff in general. I think that we're in a way we're 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 trying to explore our understanding of mortality and in in a way that's a little bit more fun than just being like I wonder what happens when you die do worms eat me <laughs> <laughs> I'm down with being eaten by worms for what it's worth Yeah but like you know I I, I ran this poll um you know it's a common question that we ask people uh when we interview them which is 40 hour work week or zombie apocalypse. And I actually found a surprising number of people who were fans of zombie apocalypses, but also chose 40 hour work week. And really their reasonings were that they, they didn't think that they could survive in the zombie apocalypse. Or people they love won't survive. Yeah. yeah. And my answer is that I don't think I can survive the 40 hour work week. Yeah. <laughs> I know you're making me laugh, but also I think that that's yeah. not many of us can't. And I think many of us are led to believe that if we can't, it means something's wrong with us. No, it's zombicosis. We are not given a conducive <laughs> environment for our species-specific needs. Yeah, we need an enrichment in our habitats. Yeah, and the 40-hour work week ain't it, babies. But yeah, I, I mean, I hear what you're saying. I think that people are definitely uh, watch and read this kind of fiction for those reasons, but that doesn't make them equipped enough to actually deal with it um, in real life, unfortunately. But at least it's, like, addressed. Like, I appreciated that he wanted to see his family and he wanted to, like literally look at their bodies like they uh selena and what was the other guy's name that got mark beaten to death mark yeah um we're like don't go up there and he wanted he just needed to see them and then there's another moment where after um frank dies hannah's dad hannah is i'm pretty sure on valium at this point with the soldiers and she just says all i want to do is bury my dad i just want to bury my dad yeah well let's talk about one theme that i really enjoyed and actually to me is an upper opposite of Valium, more like an amphetamine, which is uh, this theme that money is not real. I love the way money was depicted in this movie and talked about in this movie. The first time it comes up is when Jimmy uh, wakes up and gets out of the hospital and it's like desolate. Nothing is going on. And his first impulse when he sees money all over the ground is to run around and pick it up. That is the first thing he goes to do. It's not a bad idea if you don't know the full extent of what's going on, because like maybe everybody just evacuated, right? Um, they're just but somewhere why else. would they leave their money behind? I think the fact uh, that there's money everywhere kind of indicates that it no longer has value. I mean, there's a lot of reasons that that could happen, but I, I think that it doesn't take up a lot of space. And if it's just sitting there, you might as well grab a handful of it um, until you learn more about the world, because the, the best survival tool you can have is a wad of cash. Um, unless it's worthless, but if it's worthless, you find out later, it'll be worthless pretty quickly. I and you can start a fire with it. So, <laughs> Yeah, I think what's interesting about it is like, okay, I can see your point that it would make sense. Maybe I don't know that it would be what I would do, but it would make sense for somebody who is uh, 
accustomed to money being the way that they get what they need to do that as the first impulse. But in reality, that money is useless. And in actual yeah. fact, in real life, money is only valuable because we've all agreed that it has value. It is completely a fiction of our imagination. Well, you could use it if you powered up vending machines. What? If you power up vending machines and can't actually oh, get inside of the them. survival tool. Yeah, but he's you not could, thinking You that could far feed away. money into it. I'm just saying that there are reasons that you, you could have money and have it be valuable um, in the immediate aftermath of of the apocalypse are you trying to shit on my theme here yes. dan i don't appreciate this. i shit upon your theme i still think money's not real it's it is not real it is made of paper it is sometimes <laughs> it's not real. even made of paper Most sometimes time, it's an imaginary number that we look at sometimes now it's and a piece we of, are like what does that even mean yeah it's a piece <laughs> of plastic in my uh purse yeah with some numbers i press some buttons and things and then stuff happens and I get food or whatever I want. But I think the other thing that was like a really glorious moment around this theme was when they went grocery shopping. It was one of the lo- most lighthearted moments of the film. They actually had like happy music playing. They're mm-hmm. running around, yeah. getting all the things that they like. I thought it was really lovely. This is yeah. kind of a nice idea. All, all of the cabbages were rotten, but the apples were fine. Those are radiated apples. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that was, I think... That marks one of people's like happiest moments in the movie. Like everybody remembers the store, everybody remembers the intro, and everybody remembers the tunnel scene. <laughs> yeah, and the sexual assault, the almost yes. the almost sexual assault. But I think that if you know, if you don't get this theme right from the beginning, I feel like the writers of the movie really uh shove it in your face when Mark, the army person, I don't know what is Oh, he's, I don't, he's not an army guy. He wasn't? No. Uh, Mark, Mark is just the guy that was surviving with Selena. Um, he tells a story about what the, what the first days were like. And he says that, you know, at first it was just happening out in the rural areas. And then it came into the cities and everybody panicked. And him and his father and his mother and his sister went to the airport with a, with a, a suitcase full of money. Because mm. they thought that they could buy their way onto a plane, and everybody else in London had the same idea. And uh, he he said that like he looked down, or he, he was as he was walking, he's like the the ground felt soft. He looked down and he saw all these faces of people. It's fucked up. And there's just a point where like he couldn't he couldn't uh, walk anymore. He was just climbing over over top of people, and like some of like he couldn't tell who was infected and who wasn't. So he just climbed up on top of. Like, a, I think he said like a, a carousel of some kind or mm. some he climbed up on top of something. That's how he survived. Yeah. So, again, right in the beginning of the apocalypse, money meaningless. Yeah. Point made. With, within, within hours, money was worthless. Yeah, because it is worthless because it's a joke. It's yeah. a ridiculous concept and it's very young. Did you know that money is only like 500 years old? Maybe 600 years is now? It? Yeah, it's a very young, there was like bartering and there were some early examples of it, but money as we understand it today is about 600 years old. Leah, what did we love about this movie? Well, let's talk about that for me. It was the first real apocalypse movie I remember watching. And when I first watched it, I found it utterly horrifying. When I watched it again with you, and I think I've watched it a couple of times, but like probably even before 2010 when I rewatched it, watching it again in 2024 was like, feeling the ghost of the memory of being horrified yeah but i i think it was pretty much the first one and i think it was possibly what got me really interested in this genre of film yeah same 
Um, you know, I this this leads into the thing. One of the things that I loved about this movie, it's the first uh, zombie movie besides uh, Romero films, of course, that took the idea seriously and painted this uh, picture more than just a just flesh eating corpse fest. Um, you know, zombie movies were always treated like a B horror, like gore, gore movie, you know, like it was never it was always campy. It was never like taken seriously. Even the George Romero films, like even though they were serious, there was still quite a bit of camp there. And mm. like, it's hard to be scared of George Romero zombies because they're just they're just so fucking goofy and slow. Like, you know, like the in in um, in the Dawn of the Dead, there was like a Hare Krishna zombie. And it's like, how, how are you going to be afraid of the Hare Krishna zombie? That's coming at you like it's it is weird, but it's like you're not terrified of that. And this was the first movie where it's like it's like the the the, the scene in the church when he says hello and three zombies just whip their heads around and stare right at him like like he was like like there was a lobster crawling out of his ears like that was a scary moment. And fun fact, when I first watched this movie in 2003, I didn't know it was a zombie movie. That's amazing. I hadn't seen any trailers. I was just told that this is going to be a really good movie. And the cover of it's just like, it's the biohazard trifoil. Um, it's just red. Uh, I think it's like a depiction of like London, maybe. Uh, it doesn't say a whole lot about like what to expect from the movie. So I'm like, so I'm like, oh, okay. So like some type of biohazard situation happened. And like, I just, I just came back from combat. So like, you know, I was already, you know, I'm I'm afraid of people in gas masks because I had to wear gas masks so often. Like, wow. it freaks me out seeing somebody wearing a gas mask because I'm terribly petrified of a chemical attack. I don't like the idea of breathing in a gas that uh, melts my skin, um, makes me vomit my lungs out of my mouth and, uh, and then spasm until my back breaks. I think I lost the plot here because I have drank half a cider with not very much food in my stomach. Are you saying that you thought that this movie was going to be about a chemical warfare? Right. Like a, like some type uh, of biohazard situation, like a contagion, like some kind of disease or something. I did not know that there were going to be zombies. So as he's walking around an empty city and he's saying hello all the time, I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess everybody died or something. And then he goes to the then he goes to the church. I'm like, yep, that's where the dead people are. And then he says hello, and like three of them whip their heads around. I'm like, oh shit. That part was still <laughs> genuinely scary to me in 2024. And then the priest starts stomping his way way up the stairs. <laughs> I didn't know what was going on. I'm like, like the hairs on my arm were standing up. Like, what's happening? Yeah, because you don't know what's going on, which is is like the feeling of the character of Jimmy. I loved how Jimmy was like, I'm so sorry, priest, whatever, whatever. <laughs> he had some oh. of the bag full of uh yeah. of Pepsis. <laughs> I think it's a good depiction of how, like, because I want to be like, dude, it's a fucking zombie. Why are you, like, apologizing? But then I had to remember that probably in that context, you would still think these people are people. Yeah. Which they are. They're because they're not dead. So it is confusing that way. But still, I don't know if I'd be hitting anybody with a, a thing of Pepsis, though. Yeah. Well, it was a good weapon. But then he took off and they're, like, running right on his heels. And I'm like, this is, like, anybody who's, like, who who wasn't around at that time like probably wouldn't understand because they're like yeah zombies are fast sometimes you know fucking it's not weird yeah but back then it was really weird 
It's that's not the behavior of zombies. Zombies are slow and they groan and uh, and you can easily outrun them. Yeah, they're not fast and can open doors. It was very scary. And I will say, even if there weren't zombies in that moment, the scene of all the Debbie Bull in the church was terrifying enough. Like, yeah, it was so disturbing. The scenes of the dead babies and the and the parents bodies on the bed. Like, I feel like it was a really gritty depiction and realistic depiction of what an apocalypse might look like and feel like. Yeah. Another thing I really loved that felt very realistic was the scene of after Jimmy, of course, has to go get his money. He sees, <laughs> and his Pepsis. And his Pepsis. He sees a billboard with people's handwritten letters and photos of their loved ones saying, like, meet me here. Or have you seen this person? And it was interesting. I'm not sure when it was filmed. I know it came out in 2003 because uh, I think the first time, again, that I had seen something like that was depictions of um, the 9-11 wall. Yeah. Where people were still trying to figure out where people were and like that immediate chaos after. And I'm sure that this is probably something that's happened in disaster situations many times. But at, the, at that point, I was a very, very young. I mean, I don't want to say an adult, although technically I could vote at that point. Or wait, could I? Yes, I could vote. But I would not call myself an adult in my maturity levels. <laughs> <laughs> Me either. <laughs> um, but I that, that felt very real and I think demonstrated the scale of the disaster yeah. and also that a lot of time had gone by because of how empty the streets were in contrast with all of these letters looking for people. Yeah. Also just great world building. Like the, yeah. it just added so much uh value to to the storytelling of that world. Like it wasn't enough just to show some en- empty streets, but like to like tell this story of like. People were here and they were looking for each other. Yeah. And then you add on the music. Dan, talk about the music, because isn't that the music that you listen to when you write your book? So that one is um, Godspeed You, Black Emperor. Mm. I forget the name of the song, but that is part of my uh, desolate writing playlist. (laughs) You should share that with the world. The world needs more desolate writing playlists. Yeah, Um, it's... uh, so whenever I really need to like get focused on writing, I listen to Godspeed You, Black Emperor. I start at the beginning and I go straight to the end. It's an experience. We also did it on mushrooms. <laughs> that was very beautiful, actually. Yeah. You know, I I was just like, I was just letting Spotify play. And we were, we were high on mushrooms, just watching laser light show. And so far, it had been all like these this happy music or like powerful um, fun music and then all of a sudden i hear <laughs> i hear godspeed you come on and i was like oh we better skip this and leah's like no what is it i want to hear it and i'm like are you sure because this is going to be a fucking experience <laughs> and it was but i think that there's some beauty in um quote-unquote negative emotions like letting yourself embrace and feel sadness yeah which i would say that that song is just really saw sad yeah uh, Godspeed to you, Black Emperor, does a really great job of taking you on a whole ride of emotion, starting from like very, very bleak through to really empty and alone territory and then coming out in this like kind of beautiful place. Yeah, it's lovely. I'd yeah. actually I'd listen to it again. Let's do that. Yeah. The album was called F Sharp A Sharp. Hmm. I want to listen to the whole album now. Maybe on a road trip sometime. Yeah. Since I made you listen to every single metric song, I think it's time for you to play that for an extra <laughs> trip. Yeah, we'll listen to all of their albums. Yeah. Last but not least, <laughs> I think we cannot um, complete this list of things we love without talking about the badass that is Selena. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Selena is a genuine 
a genuine badass. And she, like, unlike a lot of characters in apocalyptic fiction, she earns the credi- credibility that goes with her character. And in one way that she does that is uh, she brutally fucking annihilates Mark. Uh, Without with a, a breath. Yeah. Like, Mark has, like, a cut on his arm. We don't know if he's infected or not, but Selena doesn't care because she knows that if you have, he's covered in blood, he has a cut. It's that's all you need. She so, said she could see it in his eyes. Yeah, she she could she could see in his eyes that he knew he was infected. Yeah, and uh, without a second's notice, like she attacks him, gets over top of him, just starts like over the head, two handed style, coming down on him with the with a machete. Chops off his arm because he's trying to defend himself and uh, and splits him right down the middle. Well, we don't know if he's split down the middle because we can't see the actual yeah. violence. There's like conveniently. She, a piece of she, she was going it. for the head, though. That head split wide open. <laughs> I love that you can picture it. It is very visceral. Moment. Yeah, uh, it was it was brutal. And uh, and then she's like, we got to go now. <laughs> yeah, it's just like uh, unfazed, which again, yeah. exact like uh, probably dissociating at this point. Bruce Elena, because of whatever she's been through in the first 28 days. Let's talk about the things that everybody gets really mad at in this movie. And I would like to start because I'm not sure that I was mad about it the first time I watched it. But this time I was like, what is no, this is bad. Yeah. Which is the um, weird artistic choices. And I didn't realize that the uh, memories that is actually I thought was a film, but it's only a memory was included in this. But I consider that a weird artistic choice. It was not clear to me that he wasn't watching a film. In fact, I was quite convinced he was. Oh, when he was in his house. Yes. But he's, and he's like, how he you watching his the, family is his memories were an eight millimeter film. Yeah. yeah. And then there's this moment where there's like this beautiful city sunrise skyline with like half of somebody's face in a living room in the top left corner of the screen. And I was like, is something wrong with the DVD? That was my first thought. <laughs> and then it pans into the living room, which is in the suburbs, not in a high rise. So like nothing about that scene makes any fucking sense. Yeah. And then on top of that, they have weird moments of tulip fields that are speaking of Van Gogh, like a Van Gogh painting. It makes no sense. Yeah. Like they they added like a digital filter over it. And what I'm thinking is I think they just got experimental with some of these things because it was the first digital film. Um, You know, they they were like, we can just put a a filter on this. This is going to be crazy. People are going to be like, are we watching a painting? (laughs) But it comes off like looking like a fucking not even as good as a filter you would download for your phone. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I, I probably enjoyed it the first time around because it was novel. But now that I have 21 years of movies past that, I'm like, this is just amateur and terrible and like yeah. not clearly thought out at all. And also pointless. Um, yeah. I I remember just being confused by it. Like, I, I remember looking at it being like, why does it look like this? Is it blurry? Is it out of focus? Like, I don't understand what's happening. Intentionally. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Dan, we should talk about this next one that you hate, because I feel like you'd have a lot to say about it. Oh, the army guys trope? Yes. Uh, What about it? (laughs) Maybe I wrote this one. Yeah, I don't remember. I probably did. I I know, like, I'm going to say it. I know that one of the main characters in your book is an army person. Yeah. I love how I say army person because I know nothing about the right lingo. (laughs) An army dude, a, a soldier, dude, a soldier. Yeah, it's one of those. And there's probably some others in there. Um, and I got to say, I'm a little tired of army people being in these movies. I think, again, I'm not sure. I can't 
I called it an army trope, and now that I think about it, it couldn't be a trope when there weren't a lot of apocalyptic films at the time. Yeah. So this is interesting when I think about, like, probably it didn't even phase me, but I just feel like I've seen this of, like, a bunch of shitty army dudes together who do shitty things uh, and abuse their power so many times now in the zombie apocalypse. So I can't I can't actually blame them for it being one of the first movies like this. But at this point watching it, I was like, oh, I've just seen this too many times. Yeah, um, I don't mind it because I do think that this is realistic, that mm. you would have like a, a uh, like a small survival unit of of soldiers that survived because they were well armed and that's it. Yeah. Um, but what I did like about the army guys trope was actually that they, um, I felt like they were actually accurately depicted. Like there's a, there's a scene where they're looking down into the courtyard, watching the soldiers unload the, the taxi cab. And they're like, one of them's on top and they're like, they're driving the car around in circles and they're like pranking each other. And, uh, and I, I've, I feel like I, I remember him saying this, the, uh, the officer, he's like, they're not soldiers, they're boys. They're mm. scared boys with guns. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and, uh, and like, I, I feel like so many movies that do the soldier trope, they depict like these gnarly badass dudes when the reality that anybody could tell you who's been in the army is that it's just a bunch of 18 year old fuckheads. <laughs> that have a minimal amount of training and they just want to do their job well enough so that they can go home and visit mom and dad for Christmas. That's and that's about it. <laughs> so interesting to think about the com. Oh, it was bringing me back a memory of when we were getting ready to fly um, our first flight from Boston to Jamaica. And there was somebody who had just completed basic training <laughs> and he was telling everybody about him in the line, everybody about it in the line. And I could feel you being like, shut the fuck up. Uh, and I just looked at you and I was like, I bet you were like this once upon a time. And you're like, mm, maybe. You know, there's a voice <laughs> that comes through my head when people are just started start, start talking about their basic training. Um, when I was in AIT, advanced individual training comes after basic training. Uh, you know, I was I was taking my advanced training with some people who were reclassifying. So they were, you know, sergeant first class, uh, E5s, E6s, E7s, that, you know, they had a job before, but they wanted to reclassify and do something different. So they're coming into my, my, uh, my MOS, my job, mm -hmm. um, and tr like kind of starting over. Um, so a bunch of us people just straight out of basic training and we can't stop fucking talking about basic training and how our drill sergeant did this. And we went to this course and did that. And I was climbing this thing and fell off. And I feel like it was like two months into this, this training. Uh, Sergeant Bertuka, he, he's, he's, he just had enough. And he threw up his hands. He's like, everybody shut up. Nobody gives a fuck about basic training. Stop talking about basic training. Just shut the fuck up. Yeah, he was tired of the army guy trope. Yeah. But also, I will say, to be fair, I think if you've just completed basic training, training, that's a pretty big life milestone. I understand why the technically an adult was excited about it in the yeah. line to get on the plane. It was the only thing that he had to talk about. Yeah, you have limited <laughs> life experience and it's a big moment. I can't deny that it's a big moment. But yeah, while he was while he was talking, I definitely heard Sergeant Bertuka in my head being like, nobody gives a fuck about basic I training. I could feel the rage wafting off of you, honestly. Like, I knew you weren't going to say anything, but yeah. I could feel feel it oh no i was gonna let him have his moment because i know i know that joy of just 
talking somebody's fucking ear off about Thinking shit they don't care so about. So self-important. <laughs> yeah. So self-important because I just finished basic training. But again, we've all been there. Uh, another thing that really I think it was absolute stupidity and Jimmy himself said this was a dumb idea was choosing to go through the tunnel when there was an alternative route out of the city and then making it worse after you do a thing that is literally impossible to do, which is drive a cab over a bunch of cars. Like, I don't, I don't understand how there was even an entry point that yeah. made any sense for him to do that. He just rammed the shit out of it. And yeah, and suddenly yeah. it got over it. That you have a flat <laughs> tire that you then choose to stop and change in the tunnel when you hear zombies running at you. Yeah. Very I would have upsetting. I would have driven all the fucking way to Manchester on a on a steel rim. Yeah, that's what you said in the moment we were watching it because yeah. it's like it I've is driven tense. further than that on a steel rim <laughs> without zombies chasing me. Just because Why? I'm like, because I'm like, I don't want to change a tire here. I mean, I guess that's <laughs> fair, but I like I really just think it was one of those choices that was clearly for the drama of the movie, but yeah. it took me out of my suspended disbelief because I was like, this is such a set of stupid decisions, and then to like add on top of that, Jimmy. As they're driving away because they miraculously get the wheel on time back on on time is like has his torso out the window and is going woo as they're driving away from the zombies. I just it's like yeah. a very unbelievable. Scene. I think everybody saw the Jimmy hanging out of the car and everybody was like, get in the car, asshole. Like that's the that's everybody watching the movie. Every single person watching that movie thought, Jimmy, you're an asshole. Get in the car. Especially when he said it was a stupid idea. Yeah. And like, let's let's back up a bit, because the whole like driving over a pile of wrecked cars is the dumbest fucking thing I could imagine. doing. It's literally impossible, you know, from a person who literally earlier that day was saying, "Um, I can't leave the city on my own because if something were to happen, Hannah would be stuck on her own and I couldn't, you know, I wouldn't want to have that happen. Like, like from a character who is saying, I'm going at this from the, the angle of caution, exercised zero fucking caution and turning his fucking black cab into a goddamn monster truck. <laughs> <laughs> it's the d- dumbest shit I've ever seen. And I would I would have I would have I would have shot him. <laughs> I would have shot him. Yeah. After we got out of that tunnel, Frank? I'd be like, Frank, you're gonna shooting you. You're going to die anyways. You just don't know. I wouldn't yet. kill him. I just shoot him. Wow. Like in the foot. I'd shoot him in the foot and I'd be like, Frank, you're not driving anymore. You're losing points for me as a potential zombie survival crew <laughs> member of mine. I don't want you to shoot anybody in the foot. But also we would never. My point is that, that like why it's stupid is that nobody would ever make this decision if there's an alternative. If there's no alternative, fine. But in a world where there is an alternative, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Also, I want to point out another thing that's not on our list that hmm. involves Frank. And that's that when they stop to camp for the night. Everybody takes a Valiant to go to sleep and have a nice, restful sleep, leaving Frank to be the only person that has to stay up all night that really and watch me. over them. He's got to drive. He's the, he's the person driving the car. And not only that, and this is my, my fan theory right here, is that when they get to the blockade and they all get out of the car, Frank is a little upset because there's no soldiers there. Why is he upset? Because he's grumpy, because he hasn't slept any. And he gets there. And he's he starts huffing and puffing. He's like, God, I'm going to go check over here. And then he sees a crow picking at a corpse and, uh, and he gets mad at the crow because he's grumpy, because he hasn't had his sleep, because there's no soldiers there. Everything's going bad for Frank. And he uh, 
and he scares the crow away, gets a drop of blood in his eye. Zombie. If they let Frank sleep, none of that would have happened. He would have lived. Yeah, Frank I think would have lived. Survival tip. If you are sleeping out in the open, take fucking turns. Everybody gets yeah. some sleep. This I can't even believe that they didn't suggest this. And the driver gets sleep priority. Frank should yes. have been the only person who slept all night. True. Frank and Hannah, because Hannah was young. So, like, I wouldn't trust her to, to uh, stay awake. Stay I wouldn't awake trust now. myself to stay awake. That's the thing. But, yeah. I mean, you should at least try. Um can we talk about the choice when they finally escaped all of the zombies and they're living in a cute little farm waiting for some help and they've, they've been seeing some some plane flying overhead apparently that they choose to stitch fabric together in a giant set of letters and they pick a long word. <laughs> There's a universal, I believe it's universal, actually I don't know, but I would assume that SOS, Save Our Souls, is one of those things that at this point is pretty universal knowledge that if you're trying to get attention, you SOS. Yeah. Even dot, 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 dash, 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 dot, dot, dot. Yeah. It's. uh. You can do that with rocks. They could have just painted rocks. They could have painted rocks. Instead, they made a huge fabric thing that said hello. Yeah. That is three letters more than they needed. Yeah. They doubled their letters. It was a little bit of an interesting thing when they were doing the, mo- the, the montage before where they rushed Jim to an ER room to like do emergency surgery on him. Yeah. And then he had like these like. These like fever dream moments. And then there's an image of like white letters on a green hillside that said hell. Yeah, it was a it was kind of a cool ending. I'll give it yeah. that. But and I mean they, they could have made it say help. True. Help. Still one letter too many. Also, like, also <laughs> hi. Hi. If you're going for a basic greeting, you could do the one that's two fucking letters. You know, I think I think it was Family Guy that did like a play on this where like I think uh I think it was actually Peter was doing a castaway thing, like his like cutaway jokes, and uh, and he's putting rocks on uh, on the beach, and he uh, puts the last S on SOS, but then it zooms, out, it pans out, and it's like the whole beach is covered in rocks that spells out this whole message that says like to whom it may concern, <laughs> I'm stranded on a desert island, you see, but you know enough about me because I could go on and on for days. Anyways, the point of this message is. Uh, please send help SOS. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Dan, I think you've got one more and I've got one more oh. of things that we don't like from this film. So why don't you wrap yours up and then I get to oh, then I get to go on the rant yeah. that I really want to go on. So you know, this is also a weird, a weird trope. The whole the whole mighty whitey. We've talked about mighty whitey. Brad Pitt's a mighty whitey. He is. You know, from uh from World War Z, where it's like, guys. We need to to save the day in this in this movie. We got to figure out an end to it. So we'll just have uh, a white guy save us. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Jim kind of was that at the end. And I feel like this is where the writing kind of plummeted a little bit, where it went from this area where it was like hyper realistic, gritty, and like this exploration of loneliness and emotions to um, Jim goes from being a hapless idiot who took unnecessary risks and has a a kill count of one child (laughs) to wiping out an entire unit of hardened soldiers. Using some like deep strategic thinking too. Like, yeah, he thought about it. He's climbing around on roofs. He's going full ninja. Like, I understand that he is maybe an unconventional thinker. So I give him how 
how he like escaped execution from the soldiers where he hid in under a whole bunch of bodies and then they thought that he ran off. So like they, they, they run off after him and then he like goes the other way, jumps over a wall, loses his shoes and he's basically naked in the rain. Uh, like I give him that, like that's like accidental survival luck. Yeah. Like anyone can do that. You don't need to be special to do that. But when suddenly you're going against like, eight or nine soldiers who are trained to fight. And like, honestly, sometimes the only reason that he survives is because they're too busy firing at the ceiling because they can't control the recoil of their weapon. Yeah, they don't know how to be soldiers. Even though or they're, they're scared and crying and being like, I don't have any bullets. Please save me. <laughs> and it's like, who are these guys? <laughs> and let's add to this that he's I feel like he's like supercharged into Mighty Whitey because of his love of Selena and his yeah. desire to be the hero. I don't know. It's just, I agree. It's very unrealistic. Oh, and can we talk about the very end where he's like in shadow and he just killed the toxic masculinity dude that like, let's, let's not even mention the fact that while everybody is dying around him because infected zombies are running through this mansion, he's like, I got to grab the woman who I'm still going to threaten all the way up to the bedroom because, uh... I just want to really double down on the sexual assault thing that I got going for me. Um, and then he kills that guy by gouging his eyeballs out, which is cool. It was gross. <laughs> um, but then he stands in the darkness, says nothing to Selena. Selena's got her machete and then he runs at her. Yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And then That's when true. she sees him, she holds back and doesn't kill him. Even though she had clearly not held back in the future. And, the past. uh, and he and he's and he says the corniest fucking thing that's what did he more say? than a heartbeat, remember. more than a heartbeat, which is the name of the song that is playing at the time, more than a heartbeat. But be, because she said that she would kill him in a heartbeat. Oh, and it's just like, this is not the time to play coy. This is not the time to prank somebody. You know, the, After you've just gouged somebody's eyes out, you know. <laughs> It comes. Here's to where like I give really credit ready. to Zombieland. This is where I give credit to Zombieland because in Zombieland, Bill Murray tries to prank uh, what's his face, the main character, by sneaking up on him in a movie theater and pretending that he's a zombie. And uh, and Jesse Eisenberg spins around, sees zombie Bill Murray, who he did not know was alive, and shoots him. Blows his his fucking organs out of the back of his body yeah and kills him and uh yeah like like that that needed to happen in this movie where jim is the biggest fucking idiot by just pranking selena i guess so you're saying it would be a more satisfying ending if jim died yeah selena's hands or if he just like was like Hey, I'm alive. Don't don't kill me because I'm alive. I'm real. I'm not a zombie. Yeah, something realistic. But they, they want the effect, Dan. Just, I they don't want the give effect a fuck. It's bad writing. It's just bad. It's true. Let's <laughs> you know we gotta watch 28 weeks later, and then eventually 28 years later to see if the writing improves. But can I please uh, cap out this things we hate about the movie? One more thing we hate. One more thing, which occurred to me right before we went to record this. So one of my bestest friends in the whole world love Cillian Murphy, who is the person who plays Jimmy, for those who don't know. She's obsessed with him. She's told me many times that she has sex dreams about him. Okay, that's why I'm not naming her name. She fucking loves this guy, talks about him endlessly. And so I texted her and said, 
hey, would you watch 28 years or 28 days later? Because guess whose penis is in it? <laughs> Cillian Murphy. And she laughed and said she would not watch it, even if his penis was in it. That's how much she doesn't like zombie apocalypse stuff. Wow. And why I know that 33 or 34 episodes in now, she still has not listened to our <laughs> podcast. And I don't think she ever will if Cillian Murphy's dick won't won't bring her to the yeah, end. Yeah, there's, there's no... There's no hope for us no to, listen to, her, to listen to our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have one more thing that I hate about this movie. Okay, we love to hate it. And I think that you'll agree with me. Because we previously mentioned how we love how Selena is a super badass that earns the respect of the viewer every step of the way. Yeah. But as soon as they decided to go the mighty whitey route and, uh, and make the whole movie about sexual assault, suddenly she needs to be saved by Jim. Of course, because she's only as badass as the white guy next to her. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that really did a huge disservice to her character because her character was badass. Yeah. Especially at the end, when things were going haywire, she could have easily spun that situa- situation around and saved herself. While while Jim was also battling the other people, this could have been a two versus everyone situation, and they could just meet in the middle and be like, hey, I guess we killed everyone. That would have been a really cool alternative ending. I like that. Hannah was too fucked up on Valium, so that's fine. Yeah. Hannah I really a, enjoyed Hannah on Valium. <laughs> she did a great job acting. Hannah did a uh, had a really good moment, uh, a really good survival moment where um, where a zombie came into the room that she was in, and she hid behind a mirror. Oh yeah, that's right. And she pulled her feet up, and the uh, and and the the zombie was like looking directly at the mirror, like trying to figure out like what was going on with it because he could, he, I guess he couldn't recognize his own reflection. He was confused by it. It wasn't until like she she almost got had until somebody like made noise and he ran out of the room. Yeah, I think Hannah's a an unappreciated badass in this movie. One, she points out that it's important to um, have community, and two, she does a good job of uh, surviving when she needs to. And three, her spiel to the soldiers when she was on Valium was excellent. Oh, and yeah. worth listening to just because she was like she didn't give a shit, so she was just saying whatever and freaking yeah. them the fuck out. She's it's like, I, they're not they're not coming back. They're dead. Yeah. And uh, they're like, what happens if the officer dies? Do you guys become the officer in charge? Is that how it works? Yeah, and that just like really (laughs) upset them for some reason. Let's talk about the racist, sexist, capitalist, colonial, ableist misogyny of the living dead. Yeah, let's talk about that. So in short, I think you've already said it. This film is still a bit of a mighty whitey film, even though it does have two interesting female characters in it. And so we're going to go through our usual tests. Again, I want to point out that all of these tests are the basement floor of equitable representation and not in any way actually that great. It just means that there's like people that are not white dudes. They did the bare minimum. Yeah, that are sort of (laughs) depicted as people in the film. So Bechdel test. Um, So the Bechdel test, as a reminder, is basically evaluating representation of women in fiction. And to pass it, you have to have two women who are named talking to each other about something other than a man which does happen twice, yeah. but very briefly, very briefly. What are the two times that they talk to each other, Dan? Uh, the first time is when uh, Hannah and Selena are talking in the grocery store about chocolate. I mean, of course women talk about chocolate. Were yeah. they about to get their period? I think so. They, they were probably <laughs> getting feminine supplies <laughs> um, and eating chocolate. Mm-hmm. That's what we um, do. And also uh, when Selena and Hannah 
are going to take Valium before being sexually assaulted. But I would argue that this might have been a discussion about a man because they were talking about the men who were about to sexually assault them. That is true. They were preparing for sexual assault from dudes. Yeah. So I don't does think that passes. count as feminism? Definitely not. <laughs> Definitely not. Although I will say it's bleak realism in the sense of like sometimes all you all you can do to survive is to just like leave your body temporarily is a really sad truth. I want to know, Dan, um, how realistic do you think it is that men in the military under extreme circumstances would hatch a plan to capture and rape women? I think it would be unrealistic, but only a little bit. Um, I think that people that join the military have a weird sense of justice. Like they join because they believe in the, this version of justice. They believe that they are the protectors. Um, so I think it'd be more likely that they would want to save women, but then would, depending on their level of toxic masculinity, would then believe that maybe they were owed sexual favors in return for the safety that they provide. That makes sense. You know, as I was asking you that, I mean, maybe that's the case, but also then I started thinking about how many wars uh, there have been and are currently ongoing where sexual assault is used as a weapon of war yeah. by men. I think- Depends on the army, Unfortunately, it's more common than what I would like to believe it, but yeah. uh, at the same time, still don't think it was necessary in this film. There are and, a lot of um, armies that use it as a weapon. Yeah, yeah. So like, I feel like for 2003, there's two women out of like, I don't know- Four main characters. Yeah. Five main characters. Was, if you all count right. The bad guys. But they were also basically still very much props of um, masculine ideas around what it means to be a woman. Like one is the daughter, one eventually becomes the girlfriend because he falls yeah, in love, love with interest. Selena. And they don't really have a ton of purpose outside of playing those roles of like yeah. their purpose for men, including the explicit purpose of men for men. Oh my to God. Be this is an enemies become assaulted. lovers. Oh my God. Romance. It is. <laughs> It is. <laughs> Let's talk about the race test, which I recently learned is called the DuVernay test. Um, this one was an epic fail, and I'm particularly irritated by it. Um, I will give this this movie one win, which is that it has an interracial love story, which I yeah. think was probably relatively rare in 2003. Also a, a black female main character. Yes. Um, uh, how, how would you define the DuVernay test the, all of these tests are very similar so basically you need to have at least two characters of color can be any race that's not white because we live in a false dichotomy invented by white people who decided that they were white one day and called everybody else something else sorry for that sidebar uh who have to talk to each other with something other than white people and have like names and be meaningfully represented and not just present to push a white character's story forward which is why this Epically fails. There yeah. are uh, Selena two... definitely pushes Jim's. Uh, yes, she's story also forward. the only meaningful uh, character of color. She's a black woman. There is a black man who is uh, a zombie who's chained up, which also it's feels like a very overt <laughs> metaphor for um, slavery because they're yeah. testing on slavery and just racism in general because they're using him as a test subject to see how long it takes for him to starve, which like really gave me. Tuskegee vibes. And if you don't know about the Tuskegee studies and other ways that black people have been utilized uh, and abused for scientific experiments, Google it. I'm not going to take time to describe that to you here. But my point is, is that was like, you know, a choice I don't think needed to be made that it had to be a black man that was in chains. 
Um, but yeah, yeah, that's true. She's really it, and she's really there well, to another, push the story forward for Jim. There's another black soldier, but he doesn't talk too much except for at the end. He's the soldier that is doesn't have any bullets and is just kind of like cowering in in a room when Jim when Jim runs through, and Jim leaves him behind and gets eaten. Yeah, and here's what really bothers me about this is I was like, my understanding of London, which is where most of this film is set in the beginning, London, United Kingdom, is a very diverse place. Very, very, very diverse. So I looked it up. 63.2% of residents in 2021 identified as an ethnic minority in London. So, okay, we can maybe assume that's a little bit less in 2003. I don't know. I couldn't find statistics, but let's say it's at least like 30, 40%. To have only one main character that's black is wildly misrepresentative yeah. of what actually it would be like in the UK or and at, in London particularly. Yeah, or at least you're going to have a character that's Muslim, um, a character that's Asian. Yeah. Like it's it's not all it's not it's it's not specifically that it's sixty-three percent black in London. No, ethnic minority. But it's there's going to be more diversity. Which let's talk about how weird the concept of minority is when it's 63.2% of residents. <laughs> it, it shows you that the term minority is all about power and access to power and power over than it is about the number of people. Yeah. It's a ridiculous thing. So, okay, it's 2003. I don't ever want to make an excuse for a film just because it's old that it doesn't do a basic job of representing the society that it's supposedly trying to talk about. So, yeah, the really massive fail on the race test. But also because of its age. It's better than a a large portion of everything that was out there. Isn't that so weird? Yeah. That it's like... It's the best example we have, but it still sucks. of the worst. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know a ton. Like, I can't be like, these are all the films I watched in 2003, so I can't really compare them. Shaun of the Dead. White people. Yeah. Uh, Dawn of the Dead. White people. Wait, no. Dawn of the Dead was was also 2003? I thought it was a little later. That was a better one. Yeah. Um... Actually, you know what? If that's only a year later, it was way better than this. Yeah. Way better. It was also in the US too. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Like, what the heck, UK? I know there's some UK folks on here. Come on now. Yeah. Come on what now. I'm doing, blaming UK? you for uh, <laughs> for the failure of We're 28 days you later. For colonialism. I mean, it's true, even though I'm basically one of you ancestrally. So I'm not sure how much I can blame you. I have to look at myself in the mirror for that. <laughs> Our like one UK listener is just like, how long am I going to have to <laughs> to take the slings and arrows of colonialism? <laughs> for as long as you still bear the benefits. Sorry. <laughs> I do, too. That's that's what it is. Uh, what it means to be somebody with white privilege. Yeah. Well, we're assuming too because it's sixty-three percent. That's true. Oh my we god! What if we're assuming that we, British, we are doing the thing? We're assuming that the people from the UK <laughs> that are listening are white. Wow. Yeah. How does that make you feel, Leah? Like I'm, I have white supremacy and internalized see, inside of me that I'm constantly trying to get. And I get it. to high road you because I wasn't the one who said it. It's so. true. <laughs> it's true. The other day, I had a doctor went with a new doctor, and I absolutely thought that it was a man. And then it's not a man. And I was just like, I cannot believe this, that after all of the years that I have been trying to, like, unindoctrinate myself, that I'm still fucking indoctrinated. It's exhausting and really annoying, but worth still trying to not be an asshole. So I'm just going to keep trying. Yeah. See, you you witnessed me on air f- f- epically failing. Yeah. I'll edit it so that you sound better. No, don't. Just leave <laughs> it in. Let people know that I'm real so, and I mess up. So if, uh, if, if Leah still sounds offensive, just know that I edit it in a way that she sounds That's 90% <laughs> less offensive. 
Fine. <laughs> you know what? Fine. Um, but thank you for calling me out on that, Dan. <laughs> Vito Russo test. That is the test um, about representation of LGBTQ plus characters. Sorry, I like to put a French accent on yeah, that. LGBTQ like that. plus characters. I think, I think the uh, the community should adopt that. LGBTQ. Yeah. I don't know. I just do it because of my Frenchness uh, as a Canadian. I mean, this is the Vito Russo test. That sounds very French. Russo. I mean, maybe or maybe Italian French. Vito. Mm, maybe. Who knows? Again, we're making assumptions about identities that we shouldn't. What I do know is that they're queer. I'm not sure exactly. We should learn who Vito Russo is. I did read a little bit about it. I think he was um, like a a queer rights activist, actually. Um, But basically, you have to have a a character in the film who is not predominantly defined by their sexual orientation or gender identity. And they have to plot a time to the plot in a way such that removal would have a significant effect. I think it's obvious that this fails. I'm not even sure that like almost anywhere in the United States or Canada had same-sex marriage legalized at this point. Yeah. There's certainly very little representation. This was like the timeline where Ellen DeGeneres was maybe doing a little bit better, but still highly controversial. Yeah. <clears throat> I so, remember yeah. Ellen DeGeneres like in the 90s when she came out. Like That was a huge thing. And it was. In 2000, 2002, 2003, I don't think it was very much better. In no. fact, we were in the U.S., we were coming very close to, if not already, uh, George Bush um, denouncing uh, gay marriage. Yeah, the Defense of Marriage Act was actually signed into law by Bill Clinton in the mid 90s. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, well, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody who tells you the Democrats are the better ones, um, slightly. Are you maybe. telling me that Bill Clinton is not the, <laughs> stan- the gold standard <laughs> of, of moral integrity? Unfortunately, no. <laughs> Weird. No. All right. Well, <clears throat> So, uh, so there's no representation at all. No, in this in this movie. No, and honestly, most don't have any so That's far, true. especially like around this era. Reviewed. Yeah, and then last but not least, I remember we were talking about like there's got to be a test around um, representation of disabled people in the media, and there is. It's called the Fries test. Oh, and I love um, Fries. I feel like the only way that this could count as not a fail of the fries test if you is if you extrapolate yourself that jim has to have a tbi meaning a traumatic brain injury because he was in a coma and he has ptsd and like both of those would be considered disabilities but i feel like that's a real stretch to say that it passes he considering he came out of a coma he should have had a a far greater physical disability um walking around london on his first day like like don't most people coming out of comas need like months of Physical, physical therapy. rehabilitation. Yeah. If they've been out for that long, I mean, I can say for myself as someone who's not walking very much that my ability to do anything is so much less than it was when I could walk. Like just walking up the stairs, I'm out of breath. And I'm like, what is this? I've never had this. <laughs> so, yeah. But um, to just describe this test since the first time that we are using it, uh, it evaluates media representation of people with disabilities by checking for one, characters with disabilities portrayed as complex individuals beyond their disabilities. And two, narratives that are not solely about overcoming disability. And three, ideally actors with disabilities playing these roles to ensure authentic representation. So I don't think we've seen that in anything we've reviewed so far. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like it's just going to be a consistent fail on the Fry's test. But maybe maybe, Uh um, some writers on this podcast that listen to us slash our co-hosts could change that (laughs) in their representation. You know, our... um uh wheelchair episode 
what what was what was that episode? I forget what it's called. The disabilities episode that we did a few episodes back. Um, that's like one of the ones that I would like to revisit the most because I really want to I want to discover like the experience of what it's like for somebody in a wheelchair specifically to navigate the, the zombie apocalypse. But I'd also like to know about like people who are blind or deaf um, who have to uh, navigate these worlds. Like, like what would that be like? Yeah, it's a really good point. Like we had some close friends of ours over who um, I believe are moving to Vermont to co yes. co prepare for the end of the world with us. <laughs> if you're listening, I'm so excited you're coming. Um, but they were talking about in their job, um, part of it was understanding accessibility of websites, government websites. And what oh, they learned yeah. was that most government websites don't have these things called screen readers which makes it possible for somebody who is blind to understand what is on the page and interact with government services. And I was like, holy shit, like I would never have thought about that. And I, this is why things like having um, descriptions of your images in Instagram um, or anywhere where you're having a picture, you should describe the picture because otherwise somebody who's using a screen reader will never understand what is yeah. going that's completely inaccessible to them. So there's so many blind spots <clears throat> Which I'm also starting to wonder, is the term blind spot offensive? Have I just said an offensive thing? Probably. (laughs) There's so many things in our culture that are ableist. I feel like I'm just starting to unpack it now and frankly, selfishly, because I am disabled. Yeah, I'm trying my best not to be ableist, but it it is like this this area that's kind of like a a new idea um, for me. I'm sure it's not a new idea for people who are uh, dealing with disabilities, (laughs) but, uh, you know, We've had we've had all the isms up to this point and like ableism. It's just like the rest of the words in our English language are the ableist ones. Pretty much. (laughs) I mean, the English language I have discovered is full of um, really discriminatory terms and violent metaphors. Like we love a violent metaphor in English. Love it. Which just just shows you like what our cultural history is of. of the of English, which is war, <laughs> yeah, war and domination and colonialism, imperialism, all those things. Oh, and you know. toxic masculinity. Yeah, I mean, they Love definitely. It. How can you have war without toxic masculinity? You can't. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I I think that these are things that are interesting to learn. Let's talk about whether or not you could do it better. Oh, could we do it better? Oh, the tunnel scene, especially. Um, we would take the bridge. Yeah, the the bridge was an option. Take the bridge. You know, the tunnel scene would have been so much more acceptable if they said, "Bridge is out." Yes, can't go the bridge. Why did they? This is the only way for Jimmy to be like, "This is really stupid," and then still have them do it. Yeah, they could have made it the only option. I do. I do love what Jimmy says before they go in. He's like, "No, this is a shit idea," and it's a shit idea because it's the it's obviously a shit idea and, and they're like it. let's do it anyway it gotta get it odd. done there's no way around it it's it like there odd. is it's called the bridge the other thing we know we could do better is sleeping in shifts i'm trying to if there's anything else that we could do better. i would have slept in a fucking farmhouse maybe yes, they, did, maybe they didn't want to go inside because you might have to kill the, somebody uh, yeah the zombies might could I, be in there. I guess they go inside, so maybe they are better, safer outside. You know what else I could do better? I think this is probably a privilege of having watched so much zombie uh, films at this point, but I think I would not have immediately trusted any group that is saying they're here to save us. I mean, we have seen this. Yeah. This has now become a trope, like with The Walking Dead and the cannibals in Walking Dead. I forget what they were called. Oh, and Terminus. Yeah. 
so many examples of like where you think these people are good and they're going to save you and they're actually evil. Like you could, I think you should always stake them out and watch them first and see what's going on. Although I say that, I don't think they'd be able to know that they were bad actually until they interacted with them. But at least like get a sense of their MO. And you know, they, they found a lot of food. Um, You know, I think that they had the right idea at the end of the movie. Let's go find a cottage in Wales. Yep. You know, I would have kept driving right straight past Manchester, uh, which was on fire. I didn't I didn't know that every time I watched this movie before. I never saw that because the visual effects are so muddy and hard to understand Mm -hmm. that like when they pull up to the sign that says you're in Manchester in the far distance, you see fireballs because the city's on fire. Yeah. And that's yeah, the reason why all the zombies are going are, are are causing disruptions at the mansion that they go to with the soldiers. I mean, honestly, I think another thing I could do better was when I got to the grocery store and I realized there was literally no one in it. I would have boarded that shit up and lived there. <laughs> why leave? It's not a bad idea, but I think they really wanted to leave the city. And I don't think that that's a bad idea. It was basically empty except for nighttime. Yeah. <laughs> the zombies come out. But you see how like how adamant the zombies were to get inside. Like they were just running through glass windows and stuff. Like, you know, they're if if they knew that they were in there, they they would have been a it would have been a bad a bad situation. Yeah. But they could have gone back. They could have made multiple runs, you know. They could have found a nice place in the countryside, holed up inside of a But they had to go back through the tunnel farmhouse. Down. Because they're dumb and they're no, just it was on the other it. side of the it tunnel. It was on the other side of the tunnel. Yeah, they oh went. My God. They they left their apartment, went through the tunnel, and then and then on the food. other side they went to the the grocery I store. I love your memory for detail since I don't have any. I always remembered it the other way, and I was like, when when we got to the tunnel scene when we were watching it this time, I'm like, did they cut the the grocery store scene? Because huh. I don't remember the grocery store scene. I I thought it happened before, <laughs> um, and it didn't. It was huh. it was after. Well, I still live at the grocery store. Yeah, I would do a study of how long those apples stayed uh, <laughs> shelf stable because a little disturbing. So we've got three survival tips we're going to round up with before we give our Zeds. The first one, I'm just going to read them. They're real simple. The first one, if you're infected or somebody you love is infected, get it over with. Don't yeah. draw it out. Just kill them or kill yourself. Yeah, just just do it. I think that's a good tip. Don't you know what? Mark tried to like put up his arms to defend himself. Mm-hmm. Don't even bother. You're like that because because Mark had to live with having his arm severed before he got split open. Yeah. Just accept your accept your fate, especially if it's a fast virus like this. Yeah. Um, on that note, don't get blood in your eyes. Don't get don't get blood in your eyes. Yeah. You're going to be a zombie. <laughs> Wear goggles. Yeah, that's a great. I mean, goggles are cool. Steampunk. Hello. Yeah. Wear goggles. Yep. And then last but not least. Listen to more experienced survivors when they tell you not to do something. Yeah, like Selena, every time Jim did something stupid. Yeah, until he became Mighty Whitey at the end. Yeah, until he somehow had superpowers. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And was able to take out an entire squad of soldiers by himself. Wow. So, Dan, how many Zeds would you give this? Oh, boy. Um, You know what? We're we're dividing this up into our, our two experiences. When we first watched it in 2003... And when we watched it in 2024. Got um, it. In 2003, I'll give it a nine um, because of that third act being hard to believe. Mm. You know, even back then, I was like, I don't know about this Jim character taking out this entire <laughs> squad of soldiers. This is unrealistic. <laughs> I don't know where this came from. It doesn't seem like he earned it. So one, one, one Z word off for, uh, for that shitty ending. Okay. Let me um, share my 2003 and then we'll do 2024. Yeah. 
I would say I am less critical than you in 2003 because I am 18 or 19 years old. 18. Yeah. I mean, no. Hot. Yeah. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> My point is in 2003, I would have given it a 10. I love this movie. I thought it was amazing. I had no critical thoughts about it whatsoever. I was terrified. I wanted more. I was so excited when I heard 28 weeks later was going to be a thing. Yeah. But 2024, what would you give it? Um, I give it an eight. Uh, eight, still great, uh, but showing its age and could use an update. Mm. I uh, I did some alliteration there. You did. I'm very proud of you. Yeah, that's my haiku. It's a good rhyme. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd give it a seven because of the sexual assault piece, mm -hmm. the lack of representation, the very weird uh, artistic choices, for yeah. lack of a better term. All the things we talked about why it was bad. I think that it was... It was like nostalgically enjoyable, but I will literally never watch that film again. Really? Even though I'm still glad that the librarian is saving it for history purposes, I don't ever uh, want to watch it again. No, I want to watch it again. You can do that. Okay. On your own. I will. Okay. I'll watch Love is Blind. You watch <laughs> 28 Days Later. I'm not saying I am the like um, taste measurer here. Okay. I watch crap television. I just don't want to watch this again. Yeah. Um, and as for my attention span test, I'll give it an eight or a nine. It did still keep my attention for the whole film, um, mostly because fast zombies are always scary. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I will say that, like, I very much enjoyed, like, two thirds of this movie. Mm. And the last the, the, the last act is where it really loses me. The sexual assault, the unbelievable uh, mighty whitey situation at the end. Um, while I'm like, it's. You know, whatever it happened, and it was two thousand three. Uh, we were all we were all young, and we didn't know any better. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, you know, two thirds of this movie, I am one hundred percent fully on board for, and I just kind of I now wish that they'd put more thought into the ending. Mm. I mean, that's forty one year old Dan. I'm not sure if nineteen year old Dan had that level of no, definitely of uh, thoughtfulness. Well, folks, we did it. We got 28 Days Letter done. We watched it. Thank you, Liz, the librarian. We appreciate you. And if you have a copy, don't scratch it. Yeah. That's the moral of this story. It still has historical value. Yeah, these things actually might become rare. <laughs> yeah, they might have some value one day, oddly enough. I don't know. So next week, we have the one, the only, Sylvester Barzi in the house. Yeah, we already recorded it. We so did. technically, it was last week. <laughs> but for you, it's next week. Do I get to be a voiceover artist with that intro now? Yeah, that was really great. Could I do like a WWE uh, like um, MC job? Yeah. yeah In the left corner. <laughs> this is more like boxing. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to tell him to get ready to rumble? Get ready to rumble. Sylvester Bars, he's in the house. <laughs> Yeah, so we're talking to Sylvester Barzi, the one and only. We're going to do things a little bit differently than we've done previous books. Everything's different because uh, before we were like um, talking about books that were like New York Times bestsellers. And this time we're talking to somebody who's an indie uh, author. Yeah. Uh, so we talked to him and it's a it's a good episode. He'll, he'll tell you all about his book. Yeah, I feel like that almost sounds like a burn like. Not a New York Times bestseller, but Sylvester Barzi is a bestseller and incredibly successful as an indie author, I think, yeah. and has a great series of books. Planet Dead is the very first book he ever wrote. 
which was really cool. Yeah. Um, to read it and enjoy it so much. And it made me really excited to read uh, the book that just came out called Young Blood, which is a zombie and vampire mashup. So very excited to read that. I didn't know. I actually didn't know that there were zombies in, in it until we talked to them. I know. But now <laughs> we know so we can read it. Anyhow, it was a really lovely conversation. So definitely check that one out and go ahead and check out his books if you haven't already. But like, really, we've been talking about this for 10 weeks now. So yeah. what have you been doing? <laughs> Where have you been? Yeah. And again, we interview people. We talk to people we like. We read books we want to. And frankly, when we started reading this book, we had no idea we'd get the chance to talk to him. So it's a dream come true. It was one of my goals for 2024 was to talk to Sylvester. And we did it. I hope he's now he's our friend. Yeah. He made time for us. He's a busy guy. He is. It was a lovely conversation. Yeah. Don't forget to uh, to call into our burner phone. We have a burner phone like we deal drugs in the <laughs> 90s. <laughs> zombie drugs. Yeah. Come get your zombie drugs. We got all seven. Um yeah, call call us. Give us a survival story. We want to talk about survival stories. So if you give us your survival story, we might talk about it if it's a good one. Uh, but also give us your best evil magic chicken zombie cluck. We've we're, we are collecting clucks. We're trying to get a hundred. Yeah, um, we've got nine, uh, ten so far. So I only need ninety more. Only need ninety more. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we're giving a T-shirt away to the best clucker. Yeah, we might do a couple of competitions because Dan told me that people might have not have the attention span to make it through 100 yeah. clucks. But I believe you're better than that. I do, listeners. I think you have an attention span, even though it's 2024. Yeah, we still got to finish that shirt, too. Yeah. Yes, we also need to make a T-shirt. <laughs> Look, what we have so far is amazing. So This is our hobby, y'all. <laughs> uh, but the, the the phone number, it's uh, it's in our description, but it's also... Uh, 614-699-0006. And uh, you can leave a message up to three minutes long. Or you can email us at zombiebookclubpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Either one. You could also actually like try and write out what you think the zombie chicken cluck should sound yeah. like, and we'll read it on You can air. send us an email that just says cluck. Yeah. <laughs> Mother cluckers. <laughs> so uh, don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, do all those things. It helps us spread the virus. Yeah, it helps us grow. It really does. It's the only way we can grow is if people like what we do. And like a virus, we want to grow. Yeah. We want to get inside your ear holes and manifest in there. Yeah. And I just want to say one more note before we finally uh, end this episode, which is that this episode to create was uh, probably the most grueling <laughs> one we've ever made. There was so many interruptions from Can our doggy Nero. Yeah. And I feel like actually I should make an intro before this, like at the beginning to explain this to our listeners of what they're about to experience. And maybe they just, I just, this was, I hope you know, it's good. I don't think they'll ever know, but you know what we should do is the at magic the end, of editing. at the end, I'll, I'll just include a whole bunch of our outtakes. We tried this episode took two days to record. Yes. Multiple attempts because our dog Nero has officially decided he doesn't like us making this podcast because we're not paying attention to him for one yeah. whole hour. It's the only time he ever barks. Like yeah. he really doesn't bark any other time unless there's somebody at the door. But like he just he just started going off. Yep. It was it was it was tough, but yeah. we did it. So I hope I that you can so forgive us. I got so mad at him and I feel bad about it. Yeah, this is why we don't have human children. We're yeah, just trying we to do our them. best with dogs. <laughs> Anyhow, please forgive us. I'm limbing Nero on my um, racist and sexist ways that I shared in this <laughs> Nero podcast. It. Yeah, it's Nero's fault. Although I think that me, that's me being speciesist. So we're just going to end it on I'm an imperfect human and we're imperfect podcasters. But we hope you still love us because we love you. 
See you later. Yeah. Have a great day. Have thanks, a good night. Thanks for listening. Take some Valium and have a lovely sleep. Yeah, the end is real fucking nigh. It is. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Groaning in the background. Yep. Who the, escaped? He escaped containment. Oh, no. There Ziggy figured Ziggy. it out, too. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah, he gets thirsty. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm we <laughs> Nero! Nero, stop! The only book club that involves throwing treats at dogs into the living room. And is arguably one of the most popular zombie movies of all time. Nero! I think we have to put them away. Give them dental sticks and put them in my office. And guess what? You get even more treats. Oh my god. You're gonna reward it for your poor behavior. <laughs> Today, we are talking about 28 Days Later, which makes this Tuesday. <laughs> like, what is with him? It's like, it's like he wants to fuck this up. Yes! <laughs> Nero, stop! That won't make him stop. Stop barking. <laughs> like, are we just not doing this tonight? <sighs> but, um, I forgot what I was talking about. <laughs> it seemed like a very short-sighted way to, um... <laughs> Nero. You know what I think? Nero, can you go lay down? Go lay down, Nero. Lay Nero, down. lay down. Lay down, Nero. Go lay down. Ah, oh, what a good boy.